0: And we do come to worship our wonderful, merciful Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Go ahead, if you have your copy of the Scriptures with you, open to the book of Acts and the second chapter. We are continuing a study that we began a couple of weeks ago, looking at the church, the establishment of the church, the launching of the church, the foundation of the church, what it means to be the church. And we've seen the power of the Holy Spirit that is the power of the church it was displayed in signs and wonders that had been prophesied and now we're coming to fruition and then we have the the sign of different languages people being able to hear in their own languages the disciples able to speak in languages they had not learned and not studied again a, a a supernatural outpouring of the power of the holy spirit demonstrating that this is god's activity giving credibility and veracity and then we have Peter standing up and preaching, and we started last week by looking at kind of point one of peter 's sermon. Now Luke tells us down in verse forty of Acts two that Peter continued to speak with many other words, and so what Luke gives us is a synopsis of the summary, the heart of the message that peter is preaching. We saw last week that Peter pointed to Joel's prophecy and said, this part of the prophecy, the Holy Spirit will be poured about out upon you and it will be evidenced with signs and wonders and, and visions and dreams and, and supernatural activity. That's happening now. And then he ties into the rest of Joel's prophecy. There is a day coming when there's going to be judgment against sin and that day is coming. And so he ties in the Old Testament scripture and the prophetic utterance with this with this message that he's bringing, and now we get to really what is the heart of his message. And so we're focusing today on on Peter's sermon, a sermon on a sermon, about our victorious Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray again. Father, I pray that you'll open our minds and our hearts to your truth, that you'll speak to us, that you'll meet us at our point of need. And I pray, Father, that we'll understand what it means to be the church of God, to be the the body of Christ, to, to be your hands and your feet, to be the expression of your continued work in the world as your Holy Spirit fills us and indwells us, works in us and works through us. Father, there are some today that need comfort. There are some today that need encouragement. There are some today that need correction. And there's certainly some, Father, that need conviction. And I pray that you will be here not only in presence but in power that this Holy Spirit who poured out such power on the day of Pentecost and through this sermon that Peter preached, that you will speak to our hearts today, that you will accomplish your purpose to us and in us and through us, and that we will never, as a church, forget what we're to be about, the, our message, our theme, our focus, the reason for our existence, the, the reason we're able to exist at all, because of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he accomplished on the cross. Make it real in our hearts and in our lives. Make it real as an expression of who you are. And you just speak to us today. Our covenant is that we will listen. In your name I pray. Amen. So Stephen asked you this morning to complete a survey. Doesn't that excite you and put you on the edge of your seat? This is not like one of those telephone calls that um, people want to ask you a few questions about Medicaid or anything like that. Let me explain what we're kind of doing here as a congregation. God put us together. First Corinthians chapter twelve eighteen says, "...but now as God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it pleased Him." And God gives us different gifts and abilities. And once we're saved, we're joined to the family of God. And we're placed in a local body. And everybody, every, every congregation, has a personality. They have strengths, and they have abilities, and they have these supernatural outpourings and expressions of the grace of God. And so what we want to do is get a clearer picture of who we are as the body of Christ... You know that we can deceive ourselves. We can, uh, about what we think of ourselves or who we are. We don't see ourselves as others often see us. You'd agree with that statement, right? Um, And so. That's true not only of us as individuals, it's true of us as a church. And so this will help give us a fuller picture, but not simply so that we can get better at doing some things or so that we can refine or as part of just a process. It's because we have a purpose and a mission, and that is to be the representatives of Christ, to point people to the Lord Jesus Christ to let people know that He is our only hope, that He is the Savior. He is the way. He didn't come to teach us a way. He is the way to the Father. He is the truth. He is the life. No one comes to the Father but by Him. And so our purpose is always, as a church, to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ, to learn what the Scripture teaches of Him, to learn to know Him, and then to make Him known continually. And that's what we see taking place in Peter's sermon. Now, as we look at this section of this sermon, we're going to look at three things, and then there'll be three exhortations. The first is there is a hidden plan. The second is there is a defeated enemy. And the third is that there is a victorious Savior. A hidden plan, a defeated enemy, and a victorious plan. And so let's just go ahead and begin in Acts chapter 2, with verse 22, and read through our text for this morning, this message. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 22. Men of Israel, Peter is speaking at Pentecost, he's speaking to the Jews who had gathered for this celebration, Jews from all over the known world who had gathered and now were dwelling or were staying in Jerusalem. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth. Now, Jesus of Nazareth, why of Nazareth? Because it's an identifier. You remember when Philip in John 1 went and got Nathaniel. He said, The Messiah that we've heard about is this Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathaniel said, well, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Also, John tells us that on the head post, on the the top of the cross, there was a sign that Pilate had put there that said, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. And so this is an identifier, but they knew who he was talking about. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God And then he points back to David. David knew this Jesus, for David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Quoting Psalm 16, therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence Brothers, I say to you with the confidence about the patriarch, with confidence about the patriarch David, that he died, and that he was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, David having been a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, we call that the Davidic covenant. God told David, one of your descendants shall be the eternal king. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ. That he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of the Father, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, that you yourself are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies... Your footstool, which is confusing. The Lord said to my Lord, "This spoken of David, the highest ruler in the land." We'll get to that in a few minutes. Let all the house of Israel, therefore, both know for certain that God has made Him, this Jesus of Nazareth, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now we're going to start at the first part of this section by looking at God's hidden plan, and want to settle here. On the passage that says, verse 22 and 23, Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God, with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did to him in your midst, as you yourselves know. Now, this is an identifier, and is pointing him to the Lord Jesus Christ, this Jesus of Nazareth, this one who you followed around and sought to persecute for three years, this one who came into Jerusalem and was shouted Hosanna by the crowds and with the the palm branches laid at his feet. This is the one that you crucified, but you knew there was something about him because God attested to him. God gave him the ability or God, God verified that this was the Christ by the miracles, the mighty works, dunamis, the signs and the wonders that he did. He did things that only God could do. He walked on water. He made the blind to see. He healed withered limbs. He moved and he worked in mighty ways to demonstrate that he was like no other, attested to. God. This Jesus delivered up, and the word there, delivered up, is a very clear phrase. It's, it would bring to their mind uh, the, clearly the image of bringing a lamb to a Jewish worship service, and that lamb would be taken, and he would be delivered up on the altar, and his blood shed. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified, killed by the hand of lawless men. Now, the first thing I want us to know is that there's a hidden plan, but there's a plan that God is always in control, and God has a plan. And when something happens that is tragic, or something happens that is like this tragedy that we had last week. Uh, like the the many deaths that we've seen in our culture and our society from a variety of different reasons uh, and and causes Uh, our tendency is to say why did God let this happen or where was God when this happened our idea is number one that God is not involved and these things happen when he could have been or God is involved and he's dictating these matters and it kind of brings the mindset these two or kind of brings to mind these two different mindsets a paradox one that says is if God is sovereign then we're not really responsible and the opposite of that if history and things happen simply as a result of our own choices then God's primarily an observer he's not involved but what this text tells us is that neither of those statements are true or accurate They who crucified Christ are absolutely responsible and God, according to his definite plan and foreknowledge, is the one who brought it to pass. The truth that we can grasp from this is that God is always in control, even when it looks like he's not in control. The the mystery of salvation, the mystery of the gospel of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ was a mystery that was revealed in Christ and then revealed by the Holy Spirit to the followers of Christ, to the church and those who came after. Paul often talks about we had this mystery. We couldn't understand how God, who is just, could justify the wicked. We didn't know how God was going to unite us. And then this mystery became clear, this plan that God had from the beginning, and it's found in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was delivered up according to the plan and the foreknowledge, the definite plan. In foreknowledge of Almighty God, God's activity throughout history, and yet they are culpable; they are responsible. Whom you crucified, with the help of lawless men. And when we are in distress, or when we are in distress, often as we just go through life, we don't see the details of the intricacies of God's divine plan. Imagine with me that you're standing at the foot of the cross. And there's Jesus. And you wonder, where's God? Why is He letting this happen? This is Jesus. He's been healing people. He's the hope of the world. He could bring about the change that we always wanted. He promised that He would. And there He is, and He's dying. Where's God? Is God in control? Or is God not in control? And yet, we see through the cross... We go to the tomb and then to the empty tomb, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the plan completed, and he had to go through this to get to that. God's plan is often not clear to us. We can think sometimes that God is either asleep at the wheel or that he's in or that he's evil. Jesus could have done all these things, and yet we know that God was. Working through the cross. The cross was necessary for the empty tomb. And the phrase here that I'd love for you to just kind of keep in your mind is that God brings resurrection out of death. God always has a plan. God's always working. God always causes all things to work together for good to those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. That God moves and He works. And even though we may not understand why God does what He does or allows what He allows, that He is trustworthy. Elizabeth Elliot kind of explains this in one of her books. She was a prominent Christian writer and speaker. She has since died, but she tells of visiting with friends of hers in northern Wales who owned a sheep farm. And she shared about how the sheep are vulnerable to being eaten to death by insects and parasites. And so once every year, the shepherd has to bring his sheep in and bring them to a huge vat of a liquid antiseptic. And he has to completely submerge the sheep to make sure that they are cleaned of these parasites and these insects. The farmer, in order to save his sheep from death, has to actually hold the sheep underwater in the antiseptic until they have been disinfected. This is how she put it. She said, one by one, John sees the animals. They would struggle to climb out the side and... Mac, the sheepdog, would snarl and snap at their faces to force them back under. When they tried to climb up the ramp in a panicky way at the far end, John and the farmer would catch them, spin them around, and force them under again, holding them, eyes, ears, and nose submerged for a few seconds. As their lord and master was pushing their head under, drowning them, at least as far as they could tell, their panicky little eyes would look up over the edge of the vat, and it was easy to see what they were thinking. What is he doing? What is God doing? Reflecting on that experience, here's what she had to say. I've had many experiences in my life which have made me feel very sympathetic to those poor sheep. There are times when I couldn't figure out any reason for the treatment I was getting by my great shepherd whom I trusted. And like these sheep, there was no explanation, no hint of an explanation there will be no intellectual satisfaction on this side of heaven to the question why but although I have not found intellectual satisfaction I have found peace I have found grace the answer that I say to you is not an explanation but it's a person Jesus Christ my Lord and my God It is he who was the word before the foundation of the world suffering as a lamb slain And he has a lot up his sleeve that you and I haven't the slightest idea about now. And he's told us enough so that we know that when we suffer, when we come to these dark times of life, when we see the crucifixion side of the events, that our suffering is not for nothing. The cross brought about the resurrection. So the first thing I want you to know is that The plan of salvation was hidden until God revealed it in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and through his Holy Spirit, even though it had been foretold. You remember how it was with the disciples? How many times did Jesus tell his disciples he was going to be crucified? We have multiple times that he told them, I'm going and I'm going to be crucified. And if this body is buried, it will be resurrected the third day. And they heard it and yet they couldn't grasp it until it was made real to them. And then on that end of it, they could see the victory. They could see the hand of God. They could see the moving and working of God. God has a plan. God is moving. God is working. And this plan deals specifically with salvation through His Christ, His Messiah, His anointed one. God always has a plan. Here's the exhortation. Trust in God's plan. You can trust in God. You can trust in God who has a plan and who is bringing all things to the end that he has for them that brings glory to himself and that is good to you the hidden plan of God the mystery of salvation has now been revealed the second thing we see in this passage or this sermon this aspect of Peter's sermon not only the hidden plan and we're to trust in the God who makes the plan but also there's a defeated enemy and this is where it gets good this is a great should be a source of great joy and a source of great peace and a great comfort for you and I because of what God tells this crowd through Peter about this Jesus of Nazareth whom God attested to you. He demonstrated Lazarus was dead just down the road just a little while ago and now he lives and it was this Christ, this Jesus of Nazareth who did this. Obvious the hand of God upon him. Obviously, according to God's design and definite plan and God's foreknowledge, He was delivered up and He went to the cross. But it didn't end at the cross. As a matter of fact, He goes on to point out the fact that the grave could not hold Him. Now, I do want to talk about the enemy that was defeated. I want you to understand the miracle of this victory. This is not primarily the defeat of Satan. Real quick, when was Satan defeated? I want to see if I put you to sleep yet, and I see if we got to. When did Satan lose his battle with God? When was Satan defeated? When he was cast out of heaven. When he sought to make himself higher than God, and there was a heavenly battle, and he was cast out of heaven. Now, did Jesus defeat Satan at the cross? Jesus defeats Satan all the time. Satan has been defeated. He's already lost. Now, yes, he is the prince of the power of the air. Yes, he is the god of this world. Yes, he is the adversary and the accuser. Yes, he ro- goes around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Er- Erwin Lutzer says it like this. You've got to remember, Satan is God's Satan. Satan doesn't have any power. He's not like some dualistic where you got God on one side, Satan on the other side, and they're battling to see who wins. God has already won. Satan has already been defeated. Now, he's given freedom for a period of time. But even that freedom is to help accomplish the purpose of God in salvation and in the world and in bringing glory to God. So the, the primary enemy here is not the adversary of Satan. The primary enemy that has been defeated here, according to this text, is a just enemy. It's the enemy that we deserve. It is the enemy that we would call death. You remember when. In the Garden of Eden, God told Adam and Eve, you can have any, eat of any tree except for this one. and the day you eat of it, you will surely die. And the penalty for sin is death. Yes, physical death came into the world, but spiritual death, eternal separation of God from God. In all of biblical history, I found two that we don't have a record of them dying. There was Enoch, who walked with God and was not, for God took him. Then there was Elijah, who was taken up in a chariot of fire into the presence of God. But everyone else has come to a, uh, the end of life on this earth. We remember Moses. Even though he could not go into the promised land, God wouldn't let him go. God took him and, and he, he died and he was buried. David, the man after God's own heart, the king of Israel, the one through, the, through whom the Messiah was going to come, died and was buried. And Peter points to his tomb and says, Listen, when David said, You will not let your Holy One see corruption, he wasn't talking about himself. David wasn't calling himself the Holy One who would never see corruption. David, being a prophetic voice, was pointing to the One who would come from his descendants and ascend to the throne of God, the Son of Man, the Son of David, the promised Messiah. This is the One who will not see corruption, the Holy One who would not see corruption. Look, David's tomb's over there, his body's moldy and rotten in a grave, bones left, but not so the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the Holy One who did not see corruption. The enemy that is defeated is death. Verse 24, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. It's a simple phrase there. Uh, it, 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 death could not hold him in his grip is another way to say that. Death had no power over him. He broke the bars of death. Death could not hold him. Well, How did that happen? How did he do that? Well, two ways. First of all, the, the Bible tells us clearly two ways. One is uh, objectively, death had no authority over Christ. Why? Because the sentence was paid. Imagine that you have been convicted of a crime and found guilty, and you are guilty, and your sentence is to serve three years. You are held by that sentence. You are under the authority of that sentence. You are uh, held by that prison. And so you served your time. But on the morning of the first day of the fourth year, all of a sudden you're released. You're let go. You're no longer under the authority of that prison. Why? Because your sentence has been satisfied. And you are set free. Here's what I want you to grasp about the objective Dealing with death that the Lord Jesus Christ accomplished. The penalty for sin is death. And Jesus Christ, holy and righteous, innocent, went to the cross and He served the sentence. He paid the penalty for sin. And so all who come to Him in repentance and faith, His righteousness is imputed, it is given to us, and so death has no authority over us. Uh, When we die to ourselves and we are born into Christ, His serving the sentence is applied to us, and so objectively, we are no longer under the sentence of spiritual death, separation from God. We are given life eternal, but not only that, it's important that we understand that there's a subjective part to this. You guys know who Tony Evans is? He, a great preacher from Texas. His wife, Lois, had cancer and she died. And I don't know if you've seen her funeral service online. I would strongly recommend that you look it up. But her son, Jonathan Evans, gave a eulogy at her funeral. And he struggled with this. He said, I, I prayed to God and said, God, here's a great way for you to get glory for yourself. Listen, my family has been faithful. We've served you. Much like Peter, he said, we, we've, we've, we've given up all to follow after you. And there are people praying. There are people from all these great churches and these great pastors and these great people praying that you will heal her. And God, this is a great way for you to bring glory to yourself. Do something only you can do. Your name exalted and magnified. You bring healing to her body. And he said, I struggled and I struggled and I wrestled with God. And God spoke to me. And he said, your problem, buddy, is that you don't understand the type of victory I have have won. You don't understand what is taking place here. You don't understand the nature of my victory. He says, just because I didn't answer your prayer your way doesn't mean I ha- haven't answered your prayer anyway. Jonathan says, God told me there are always one of two answers to your prayers, this prayer. Either she was going to be healed, or she's going to be healed. Either she was going to live, or she's going to live. Either she's going to be with family, or she's going to be with Family. Either she's going to be well taken care of, or she's going to be well taken care of. Victory belongs to me, Jesus says, because of what I've already done. I want you to understand that objectively, for the believer, death has no authority over us. Jesus conquered death. The Apostle Paul in First Corinthians chapter 15, where he's writing about the resurrection, the importance of the resurrection there... Gross misunderstanding and misapplication of the resurrection. Talks about how we're going to get a new body. How that, that which is corruptible will be incorruptible. And that which is mortal shall put on immortality. And at the close of that passage, he says, Now, O death, where is your victory? O grave, where is your sting? He's taunting death. Because the power of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law that shows us what sin is. But thanks be to God, we have the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. What is Peter's sermon? There is a hidden plan, but Jesus Christ revealed that plan by according to God's definite plan and foreknowledge. He went to the cross to pay the penalty for sin. And when He paid the penalty for sin, it was not the end of the story. Because He was placed in a tomb, but death could not hold Him. And He defeated death. And so we're freed objectively from the sentence of death. But also we're freed from the fear of death. Hebrews chapter 2 gives us a very beautiful picture of our archegos, our champion, our victor, the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, we're getting close to Easter, resurrection time. Peter's sermon is focused on Easter. Our lives need to be Easter lives. We need to be focused on the living Lord Jesus all the time. And Peter focuses on Him in this passage of Scripture. And one of the things that we see, not only are we forgiven or or freed from the objective punishment of sin of death we're freed from the fear of death it's what hebrews chapter 2 says when it says just in verse 14 and 15 since therefore the children share in the flesh and blood he himself jesus took partook of the same things that through death his death he might destroy the one who had the power of death that is the devil and deliver all of those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. The whole focus of Peter's message should be the focus of ours. It's the purpose of our church is to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. To identify him as Christ and Lord, the Messiah. We see in the first point that there's a hidden plan we, all, we can trust in the Holy One of God... But we can also see that there is a victor, victory won in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we celebrate his victory over death. And as we get to the end of this section of Acts chapter 2 of this sermon, Let all the house of Israel, therefore, know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucify. Was it according to God's plan, God's sovereign, we have no choice and so we're not responsible? Or was it by man's responsibility and so God is disconnected and the answer to to that is no, it's both. We have a holy God who is sovereign and providential in works and yet mankind, we are responsible for our sin. And when we look at Christ being crucified, this is what Peter comes back to in this sermon. This Jesus of Nazareth, whom you crucified. God has made him Lord of Christ, whom you crucified. He is making sure that they understand the guilt that they bear. That their sin is what put Christ on the cross. And you and I need to make sure that people understand that. That we need to celebrate our victorious Savior. That we point people to... The victory that Christ has won. And help people know that there is only victory found in the Lord Jesus Christ. The question is always, here's Jesus, here are His claims. What will you do with Him? It was your debt He paid. It was your enemy He defeated. It is your life He requires. Will you embrace And continue to embrace that which Christ died for, sin. Or will you bow to Him as Lord and Christ? Here's the good news. Jesus reigns. He is the King of kings. And He is the Lord of lords. The Bible calls Him the King of the Jews and the King of Israel. The King of righteousness, the King of the ages. The King of glory, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He was foretold. It was told that he was the heel that would bruise the serpent's head, the star of David, the sacrificial lamb. He is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. The government, God's eternal kingdom, shall be on his shoulders, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. He was delivered up as foretold, as a lamb led to to the the slaughter. He was sinless, completely righteousness, and yet was despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows, a man of grief, smitten by God, pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. He is our victorious Lord. He is the one who has brought us peace with the Father. He is the one who has washed us whiter than snow he is our deliverer and our life giver he is our advocate our righteousness he is our life the person of the Lord Jesus Christ is the message that we preach he's the one that we're to know the one that we're to worship and the one that we're to bow down to it is so easy listen It is so easy to just get busy with life, to get busy about good things and to get busy about church things, to get busy about ministry and to get busy about ministry opportunities and forget our purpose, forget our heart, forget what God has called us to do and what God has called us to be. And what I hope today is that we just get a fresh view like these guys got when Peter preached of this Jesus of Nazareth. The one who God has made Christ and Lord. The one who was foretold David foretold Him a thousand years before He was born. The one that has been predicted. The one who we have seen and have history and testimony of those who saw Him and touched the scars in His hands and the scar in His side. And that we understand that Only in Him is there victory over sin. Only in Him is there forgiveness. Only in Him is there peace with the Father. Only in Him is eternal life. And our our joy, our purpose, our focus is to bask and rest in the love of Christ and to share the love of Christ with others. So Jesus is our song. He's our theme. He's our passage. He's our passion. If nothing else, we ought to be obsessed in learning everything that we can that He has revealed to us in His Word about Him. And then we ought to be studiously and faithfully sharing Him, sharing Him with others. We're going to do a survey of our congregation, yes, but we're also going to do a survey of our community. The week after Easter, we're going to go out Saturday and we're going to walk up and down the streets and we're going to pray for the people who live in those houses. And if they're walking down the street and and they'll let us, we'll stop and talk to them. And there are a few houses we'll go knock on the doors and introduce ourselves. So that we can, as a congregation, when we turn our focus more fully and more practically and more more consistently to that community, we have a hearing so that we can talk to them not about how good our church is and not how uh, we have a, 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 a problem solver for all your temporal problems, but so that we can share with them the person of the Lord Jesus Christ displayed in our lives and as part of our testimony, as our hope, our way, our truth, and the life. Exciting days coming ahead as we remember the purpose that we have. This morning, we're just going to close by singing the song, How Deep the Father's Love for Us, How Vast Beyond All Measure, that He should give His only Son to make a wretch His treasure. Now, if you're here and you're saved Sing this song. Think of the words and reflect upon the words. Let them be an expression of your heart for your appreciation of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, whom God has made Christ and Lord. And remember, this is Jesus whom you crucified, Jesus whom your sins took to the cross. And yet, He loved you enough to go to the cross and to conquer the enemy that you might have victory. If you're here and this has not been your experience, we'd love to share with you how you can know Him as Savior and Lord. Let's stand together and we'll sing this as our invitation.